Tonight we're going to continue our series in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Um, but I just want you to know that this nation needs more godly fathers and godly fathers who are submitted to Christ. And you cannot be submitted to Christ if you are not a, if, if you don't have faith in Christ, right? And so we're in this series right now that is all about the faith that we need to be followers of Christ. And so if you have your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to be in verses 32 through 34 this evening. Before I get into the word, let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for your word that's true. We know it's true. We have faith and believe that this is the living word of God. And we thank you, Lord, that as we read it, we believe that it is life to us because it's living just as you are. I pray that as we study, as we look at what you have uh, written down and are wanting to reveal to us, that our hearts would be open, our minds would be open to receive from you tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, again... My name is Pastor Mike Bell. I'm all the way from Fredericksburg, Texas, but I'm still local. Uh, my house is actually across the street from here. So uh, when I come into town, it's always great to, to be back home. I grew up in this church, for those of you who don't know, most of you do, uh, but it's always great to be back, uh, and I feel at home here. So just want to thank you all for having me tonight. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32 through 34 it says this, I lost my place, okay, and what more shall I say, for time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, whom through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, and made strong out of weakness, and were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Now we've been learning that in order to live a fruitful life of purpose, we must trust in the Lord. We must put our faith in Christ. Amen? Do we believe that here at Destiny? We do, right? We can't live a faithful, fruitful life for the Lord if we don't have faith in Christ. And before I get into who we are talking about tonight, well, I'll just spoil it. It's David, okay? Many of you know who David is in the Bible, and we'll certainly get into that. But there's this, um, there's this thing we all need to realize, and that's that everyone has faith in something. Everyone has faith in something. Even if you're an atheist, I don't know if we have any atheists here tonight, uh, we might. And if we do, I want to tell you, it takes faith to believe there is no God. It takes faith. In fact, I would say it takes more faith to believe there is no God than there does to believe there is God. Because everywhere you look, when you just look at creation, you see order, you see um, complexity. And when you have complexity with order, that should be a hint right there that there is a divine uh, genius creator at work. You look at anything in life that has been created by man, 
anything of significance and you would say, wow, it must have taken some invention, some thought, some teamwork to develop this thing or that thing, right? You wouldn't just assume it was made out of nothing. And so when you look at creation, when you look at nature, you see creation. You see a creator, a divine creator at work. But don't take my word for it. In Romans chapter 1, verses 19 through 20, the Apostle Paul says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived, even since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. The evidence of complex design is all around you this evening. Every day you wake up, it's another breath that you are breathing out of your complex body. Right? Have you ever ever thought thought about about how complex complex you you are as an individual? Maybe someone has told you how complex you are um, in a different way. But nevertheless, the meaning is that we we are complex people. If, if you take any part of your body scientifically and, and analyze it, if you've ever been to school, if you've ever studied anatomy, any little part of your body has to have so many things go right for it to function properly. And it all points to complex design. So we have all of this knowledge. We see evidence of creation. So why don't people believe? Well, the verse right before 119 is Romans 118. And it says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So the reason people do not believe today or do not want to believe is because they want to live above the law of God. And I'm not going to sugarcoat it. it this, this is what is happening today. People want, they don't want to believe that they are under an ultimate supreme being. And because they want to live their own way. They want to have their own set of truths that fit their lifestyle. And so they suppress the ultimate truth, which we know is set by God himself. And he has given us his law in the word of God. And so when you try to live above God's law, you make yourself a God. And this leads to pride. And we see in the word of God that pride is a sin. And pride is the downfall of many. Pride is even the downfall of many believers today. Even many ministers who get caught up in their own, uh, their own will, their, their own desires. And, and they, their pride leads to a fall. And pride will drive a wedge, if you're not careful, between God and your soul. And so, I just have this thing to say to you tonight. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. Place your faith and trust in the God of all creation, who is Jesus Christ. Amen? Okay. So with that before us, let's look at... Let's look at... uh, David tonight. And I want to look at David and I want to look at some things that we can glean from him as far as his amazing faith. David was a man of amazing faith. We see that all throughout uh, his story in the Old Testament. 
But there is also a man uh, who you will not see on this wall up here that I, I want to talk about just a little bit tonight. And hit the part of his story uh, has to do with David's story as well. So I want to start with this man. And in 1 Samuel 8 through 10, we see the account of the first king of the Israelites who was Saul. And what happened was in 1 Samuel 8 through 10, we're not going to read those three chapters, but just so you know, they're chapters 8 through 10. The elders of Israel came to the prophet Samuel and said, we want a king. We see the other kingdoms, they all have their king. We don't have a king. We have judges, we have prophets who tell us whatever God said, but we want a king. And so Samuel prayed to God and told God, that the Israelites wanted a king. And God told Samuel to grant their request. Even though God pointed out their lack of faith towards him because they wanted a man to rule over them. Now remember, Israel was God's chosen people, right? Set apart by God himself to be his chosen people. Yet they did not want to be ruled by God in this way anymore. They wanted a physical king with a physical kingdom. And so Samuel anoints Saul as king over Israel. And there are two things I want to look at in Saul's life before we get into David quickly tonight. There are many things we could look at with Saul but I want to look at some of his failures. Now, most of his account in the Bible has to do with his failures. Um, but we're going to look at two of them tonight. And they all stem from his sin of pride and his lack of faith in God. The first thing I want to look at is in 1 Samuel 15, God had called Saul and told him to wipe out the Amalekites. Now, the Amalekites were an evil nation. They despised Israel. They mocked Israel. And when you mock the kingdom of God, God does not take that lightly. And so God told Saul to wipe them out. In fact, he told him to wipe out the men, the women, the children, the animals, the buildings, everything. Wipe it out. They are an abomination. And so Saul goes in to their territory with his army and they wipe them out. But Saul kept the king as his personal trophy, as a prisoner. This was common in this time to keep the king from a territory or a kingdom that you knocked over as a symbol of your authority, as a symbol of your dominance. Yet, this is not what God had commanded Saul to do. God had told him to wipe them out entirely. Yet, he kept the king as a prisoner. But that wasn't it. He also plundered their goods. And he kept the best livestock. The Bible says they kept the best livestock and all that was good. And so this did not please the Lord. Was it the end of the world that he left one man alive and kept the best livestock? After all, they were God's creation, right? 
The problem was he didn't do what God said. And when God calls you and sets you apart and you don't obey the voice of the Lord, God takes offense to that. In 1 Samuel 15, verse 10 through 11, it says, The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And down in verse 23 it says, Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. So God rejected Saul flat out. He says, I have rejected you from being king. The second offense I want to look at from Saul is actually two, two chapters before in, in 1 Samuel 13. Now in this account, the prophet Samuel had given Saul specific uh, instructions on a time and a place and where, when they would make a sacrifice to the Lord. And Saul became impatient and didn't wait for Samuel to make the sacrifice. He did it himself. He took it upon his own hands to make the sacrifice himself, which was against what God had instructed him. And so Saul was confronted by Samuel again. And what did Saul do? Well, we see in this account in chapter 13 that he made excuses to justify his disobedience. One of the excuses was that Samuel was late Believe it or not, he tried to blame Samuel. He tried to blame his soldiers. He tried to blame the armies that were surrounding him. He made excuses. And so in 1 Samuel 13, verse 13, we see, And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God, with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over the, his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. See, Saul's disobedience and his lack of faith was his downfall. And God's plan moving forward did not include Saul. God was not interested in an unfaithful servant. God desired a man after his own heart. Heart. And so now we journey to Bethlehem in 1 Samuel chapter 16. We're going to read a little bit about the young man David. And we're going to start in verse uh, 4. Find it here. All right. And it says, Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons, and invited them to the sacrifice. When he came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before me. But the Lord said to Samuel, 
Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. If we go down to verse 10. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest. But behold, he is keeping sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. Now David was probably around 15 or so when Samuel anointed him. The exact age is not known. He had seven older brothers, so he couldn't have been that old. Uh, doesn't really matter, uh, except that he was young. And it later says that he was a youth. And so we know that he was a young boy, if, if not a young adult. But God was already seeing his faithfulness as a young boy. It says that God was looking on the heart. He was looking for someone who would obey his commandments. And he was seeing that in David, even though he was a young boy, even though he didn't really have much going on at the time. He was a shepherd for his father. He kept his sheep. He did a very good job doing it. There's this verse in Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 16, verse 10. I want us to look at. This is Jesus talking, and he says, One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. So the principle here is that we need to be trustworthy with what we've been given. We look, at, we look at King Saul, and he had been given everything that he could have ever wanted. He had been given the kingdom of Israel. Right? He, he was skillful. He had the army of God behind him. Yet when God gave him ex explicit, specific instructions, he could not follow them. He followed some of them, but not all of them. And yet here we see David, even as a young boy, even though he was only entrusted with little, he was faithful with what he was entrusted with. And this honored God. God isn't impressed by how grand you are in society. He's not impressed by how high up the ladder you are at your job. God is impressed by your obedience and faithfulness to him alone. And the more, you, the more you exemplify that character trait, the more God will use you. The more God will count on you to accomplish tasks for him, things that have eternal value. And so I know there's some teenagers here. I know there's some younger people here tonight. Even if you're not a teenager, a young man, a young lady. 
God is watching you. God is watching you. He has his eyes on you. He's looking for faithful young men and women of this generation. We live in a culture that is going to hell. It is literally going to hell before our eyes. And we are the hope. Now I say, I say we. I'm, I'm getting up there myself. So I'm looking at, at you, teenagers, young adults. You are the hope of this generation. Not, not me. Not everyone else older than me. It's you. And God is looking for those young men and women who will rise up and take a stand for the truth. Who will stand on their faith even though right now you might not think it's that important. You might think that you don't have that much going for you. That, you know, who's going to listen to me? I just have school and sleep and, and that's it. But God is watching. God is looking to see who is faithful. Who is keeping his commandments? And when you keep God's commandments, watch how he will use you for his glory. This was the case with David. He was faithful with little. Out of all the people God could have called, he chose David. Jesse didn't even bring him before Nathan, the prophet. When Nathan got there and saw his seven sons, the first one he, he saw was Eliab, his oldest. And he said, surely this is him. He's tall. He's handsome. He's, he's experienced in battle. But no, God does not care about that. God is concerned about your heart before anything else. What is in your heart where does your faith lie tonight? So, in 1 Samuel 16, we see that when the Spirit of the Lord left Saul, after David was anointed, that there was a, another spirit that came to torment Saul. And so the spirit was tormenting Saul and Saul hears about David's skillful playing of the lyre and sins for him. And so 1 Samuel 16, 21 through 23, it says, And David came to Saul and entered his service, and Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well. And the harmful spirit departed from him. I just want to say this because I don't know if I clarified it for those of you who aren't familiar with this, this, this passage. Saul was still king at this time. David was anointed king by the prophet Samuel for a future time. Okay, God's appointed time. David's time to reign had not yet come. And so Saul was still king at this time. This is another amazing trait of David is that David trusted in God and waited for his timing. He knew that he was the next appointed king, yet he went and served Saul. And it says that the spirit of the Lord was with David at all times. And we go to 1 Samuel chapter 17. This is another great part of the story of David that gives us another aspect of faith 
that I want to look at tonight. And this is when the Israelite army came up against the Philistine army. And the Bible paints the picture of you have the Israelites on one side on one mountaintop, Philistines on one mountaintop on the other side, and you have this valley in the middle. And the Philistines sent out their giant Goliath to challenge the army of Israel to battle, to send out one man who would fight him. Basically, the deal was whoever won the fight won the battle, and the other side would surrender. But the army of Israel was afraid. Part of the reason was because Goliath was about nine feet tall, big guy. And so that, would, that was a very fearful proposition for even the bravest soldiers of the army of Israel because in the natural it looked impossible. But there was one person who wasn't afraid. And we see that David was sent to bring food to his brothers. And here's Goliath's challenge. So Goliath, day after day, had been coming out. The Bible says for 40 days, Goliath had been coming out to challenge the Israelites. But no one would heed the call to battle. And so David overhears Goliath's challenge while he's there bringing food to his brothers. He was instructed by his, by his father to check on them and provide food for them. So David goes before King Saul and convinces him to let him fight Goliath. And we see this in 1 Samuel 17, 32. It says, And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with, his, with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. Verse 36 says, Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defiled the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Wow, what an amazing account from this young man. Now he points out that, that Goliath was an uncircumcised Philistine. The reason he's pointing that out is because he's saying, Listen, the Lord is not with the Philistines. The Lord is with us. Our God is with us. He is on our side. And he recounts a time when God had helped him defeat a lion, defeat a bear, while he was shepherding his sheep for his father. David had supreme confidence in the God of Israel. Why? Because David knew that his God was the living God. He had faith in the living God. We serve the living God today. We serve this same God. This same God that delivered the Israelites from Goliath. This is the God that we serve. This is the creator of the universe. This is the God that helps us day in and day out. This is the God whose spirit dwells within us for those of us who believe in Christ today. 
There is nothing impossible for our God. Nothing. David understood this better than anybody. And he wasn't even a soldier. But that didn't matter. God didn't need him to be. God just needed obedience. God just needed faith. We see in 1 Samuel 17, a little further down in the chapter, verse 43, it says, And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give, you fle- give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. See, David took this personally because Goliath was mocking his God. I don't think David could have cared any less about another territory that King Saul could have put in his trophy room. He couldn't have cared any less about that. David took offense to the fact that he was mocking his king, mocking his God. We need to take offense today. When people are mocking the name of Christ, when people are denying the truth about gender, about uh, marriage, about children, about the family structure, we need to rise up and say, no, the word of God says this, you are You are coming against the truth of my God, my King, my living Savior, Jesus Christ. It should offend us, the things that we are seeing in the world today. It offended David here. Verse 45, then David said to the Philistine, sorry, I already read that. Verse 46, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. Not only was David offended, but he was confident in his God. How much confidence does it take to say, I will cut off your head when you don't even have a sword? David didn't even have a sword. We didn't read this because we don't have time, but Saul actually tries to give David his armor, and David puts it on, and he's like, you know what, this doesn't really feel right. I'm good. I have my slingshot. I have five stones. And Saul says, okay, go ahead. Which says something else about Saul, you know, that what kind of a coward he kind of was. But also, I think he just saw the confidence in David, the confidence that he had that God was behind him. And so David is just exuding this confidence in the Lord. And, and I love what he says here, because it's not just about defeating Goliath. It's about the whole assembly knowing that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, but that the Lord is going to deliver his people. David is intent on letting God's glory be shown among everyone who is there, among the Israelites who are in fear and among the Philistines who have been mocking the God of of Israel. And so David's faith allowed him to understand exactly whose side he was on, what this was about. This was about more than just a, a victory in battle. This was about upholding and glorifying the name of God. 
This, this is all about David's faith in his God. And so, as the story goes, David goes and swings his sling. And I believe that God directed that sling to hit Goliath right between the eyes and the forehead. The Bible says it made an imprint into his forehead. And Saul fell flat on his face, and David ran over there, took the sword out of his, Saul, out of, sorry, out of Goliath. Goliath fell on his face. David went over there, took the, the sword out of Goliath's sheath, and cut off his head. David had the victory because God was with him. Because the battle was really more than about David. It was about the Lord. It was about bringing glory to the name of God, the the mighty God of Israel. And so this point, if you have a name for it, it's faith over fear. There are many things in our life that we could look at and say, you know, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I'm cut out for that. Maybe that's for somebody else. Or maybe you're afraid to fully commit to a life of submission to God. There's many things that, that you could be fearful of today, but let me tell you, when you put your faith and trust in Christ alone, the fear just goes away. It just washes away. I've experienced that in my own life. In fact, it gives you a confidence to accomplish things you you never knew you could. When you put your faith and trust in Christ, when you're obedient to the word of God, when you stand up for what you know is the truth, you can have faith over fear. So, after this, Saul obviously approves of David killing Goliath, and they celebrate this victory. Saul makes David the commander of his army. The Bible says that David was victorious and successful everywhere that Saul sent him. Of course he was. He had the Spirit of the Lord on him. And so just like Saul, just, you know, par for the course with Saul, Saul becomes jealous of David. And he tries to kill David multiple times because he was so jealous of David's success. Even though David had saved really the whole nation from slaughter, he was jealous. And the people of Israel began to sing songs about how the great things that Saul did and the even greater things that David did. And the the cheer would go something like, Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. And the Bible says that when Saul heard that, from that day on, he was jealous and furious against David and, and really tried to kill him almost until Saul's death. And so Saul begins to pursue David's life really from 1 Samuel 18 all the way to the end of the book almost. 
Saul pursues David's life to kill him. And what we see is that David would spare Saul's life. Saul was trying everything he could to kill David. And when David had the opportunity to kill Saul, he was doing everything he could not to kill him. There's a reason why David did this. Because David feared the Lord and David had faith in his plan, in the plan of God. He was unwilling to take Saul's life even though he had multiple chances. David knew that revenge was not the answer. He knew he had been anointed by God. He knew that Saul was standing in his way. He could have risen up in pride and said, I'm the anointed king. Saul's an evil king. I know I have these people behind my back that would support me. Yet David was putting his faith in the timing of God. So we can learn a lesson from this. You know, in our lives, there might be times where we see others who rise up against us, who, are, who have bad intentions for us. Whether it's we hear gossip or slander or people talking bad about us or things... We see things taking place that we kind of think, man, maybe this person is trying to bring me down. We can't seek revenge in those instances. We need to trust fully in the Lord. And I'm not just saying that from any experience. I'm saying that because the Bible says that. If we look at Leviticus 19, verse 18, it says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. We see that Saul pursued David until David fled into the Philistine territory. Once David got there, Saul said, all right, I'm done pursuing you, David, basically is is what happened there. We don't know the exact time, how long Saul was pursuing David, but we know that he tried to kill him on multiple occasions. There were times where David was literally playing his instrument before Saul, and Saul tried to spear him. This happened on multiple occasions, and, and David was dodging these spears, and leaving the presence of Saul. There were other times where Saul was plotting against David to try to trap him and kill him. And we see that Saul had this unrighteous, jealous pursuit of David up until the end. Saul was eventually surrounded by the enemy. And his life ended tragically when he committed suicide when he was about to be captured. In 1 Chronicles 10, 13 and 14, it says, So Saul died for his breach of faith. He broke faith with the Lord in that he did not keep the command of the Lord and also consulted a medium seeking guidance. He did not seek guidance from the Lord. Therefore, the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. It's very clear here that God 
did not approve of Saul's disobedience. And what disobedience leads to is tragedy. When you don't obey God, when you don't obey the word of God, when you put your own uh, ideas and your own desires above the commands and the word of God, you reap death, you reap tragedy. But unlike Saul, David constantly sought guidance from the Lord. We see this twice in 1 Chronicles 14 when he's going up against the enemy. He seeks the Lord's guidance in in what to do. David, because of this, was victorious time and time again in battle. There's a whole chapter that just talks about victory after victory after victory that David had, conquering territory after territory, nations that would rise up against Israel. Because David had faith in the plan of God, in the timing of God, he was a victorious king once God had moved him into ruling and reigning in Israel. And so this is all great. This is all good for David. And David is a very successful king at this time. But even David had his shortcomings. And and I know we like to emphasize the good parts. But David had some major flaws in his life that we can learn from. And I want to look at one of his failures tonight. Not to point the finger at David. But to show that Even through humiliation and tragedy, we can still have faith. We can still rise up in faith. There's forgiveness. There's restoration. No one is perfect except for Jesus Christ, the only perfect man to ever walk the earth. God knew that. God knew that when he appointed Saul. He knew that when he appointed David. But there is a difference between Saul and David. Even though David uh, fell and, and failed at times, every time he failed, he repented. He returned to the Lord. He moved on. He accepted it. He gave glory to God. That's what we can do. Because we're not perfect. We've fallen short many times. And so I want to look at this uh, one a final account in David's life. And this is in 2 Samuel chapter 11. I'm going to read verses uh, 1 through 5. And it says, In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle. I just want to pause there. That's one of the funniest things I've ever read in the Bible. I don't know, it just cracks me up. That it was springtime, and so it's time to go to battle. Uh, This is what they did in the spring. So, anyway, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. So David sends, at this point, he's successful, he's establishing his kingdom. He's ruling and reigning. And he sends his chief uh, commander, uh, Joab, 
to go to battle. So David stays behind in his palace. Verse 2, it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she entered to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. This was a mistake. And what started this mistake was in verse 2, where it says, He saw. David saw, and he didn't see and turn away. He didn't see and close the curtain and go play his lyre and pray to God. But he saw and looked and inquired about this woman. To make it even worse, after he found out that she was married, David still said, you know what? That's okay. But it all started with a look. And men, I'm talking to you tonight. Fathers, <laughs> too. We need to guard what we're looking at. We need to guard what we're looking at. Because it all starts with a look. Right? You, you fix your eyes on something. You jog it around in your mind. You meditate on it. This is how sin can eat away at your soul. And the enemy is using this area of lust today like I've never seen before. Where it's almost hard to walk around anywhere today without having to deny your eyesight in order not to be tempted in this area. And so we need to guard our eyes. When David saw Bathsheba, he should have turned away. He should have looked the other way. He should have gone back inside his house. How many times have we looked at something and been able to turn away, right? But how many times have we looked at something and maybe looked a little too long, maybe let that thought enter our mind? This is an area of weakness for men that we must not let get into our mind and soul. In this moment, David was completely blinded by his lust. See, this is the problem. When we fixate on things in a lustful way, it blinds us. It blinds us from hearing the word of the Lord. It blinds us from uh, seeing things in light of God's word. It blinds us in our walk with Christ. It, make, it leads us to make decisions that we ought not make. Certainly we see that here with David. He was completely unaware of all the pain and consequences this action would lead to. Because in that, morning, in that moment he had one thing on his mind. 
And it says that he called Bathsheba to his palace and he committed adultery with her. And she told him she, that, he, that she was pregnant. In verse 14, it says, In the morning David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. David was reaching an all-time low here. Because this is what the letter said that he actually handed to Uriah, who was Bathsheba's husband. The letter said, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. Verse 17. And the men of the city came out and fought with Joab, and some of the servants of David among the people fell. Uriah the Hittite also died. Verse 26. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the mourning was over... David sent and brought her to his house, and she came, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. You think? You think that displeased the Lord? He commits adultery with another man's wife. He sends the death letter, the assassination letter for her husband in his hands to deliver to Joab, has Uriah killed in battle, and then has the audacity to marry his wife. David's sin had completely overcome him. He was blinded. This is what happens when we fall into, into sin, when we fall into traps. This is why it's so important for us to obey the word of God. Because God knows what sin leads to. God is not trying to suppress us and dominate over us. God is trying to protect us from the enemy. Amen. And so David tries to cover his sin, but he couldn't. He commits murder, takes Bathsheba as his wife, and we see what happens. David pays the ultimate price for adultery. Now, what was the price in this, in this day? Remember, this was the Old Covenant. Surely David knew about the Old Covenant, but his lust had blinded him. In Leviticus 20, chapter 10, it says, If a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. So the price for adultery in David's day was death. 2 Samuel 12. We see the prophet Nathan come to David after the Lord had spoke to him. And in verse 13 and 14, Nathan confronts David with his sin David says, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord has also, also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, 
The child who is born to you shall die. See, David paid the price for his sin through his son. Not only did he murder Bathsheba's husband, he was responsible for the life of his son. See, God punishes sin. God will punish your sin. God hates sin. Surely he hates adultery. He hates any kind of sexual immorality outside of marriage between one man and one woman. I shouldn't even have to say that. Sexual immorality should imply that, but in today's society, you kind of have to spell it out a little more clearly. But God's design for this type of activity is confined to be celebrated between a covenantal marriage between one man and one woman. Period. Anything outside of that, any kind of association with that outside of it, God detests. God hates. And just because you're living under the grace of God right now in our day and age don't, doesn't mean that you will not be punished or held accountable. Not just for this sin, but any type of sin. And we know that there are consequences for this type of sin. We know that there is sickness, there is disease that has come into the world because we have perverted this area. God hates adultery. I'm just going to say it. And so David's response to this is our hope tonight. David repents for his sin when he's confronted by Nathan. When Nathan delivers the news that God is displeased, you're going to live, Bathsheba's going to live, but God is going to take the life of your son for your sin. When David receives that news, he repents before God. In fact, he, he writes a song about it. Psalm 51, the entire chapter, was written after Nathan had delivered this message that his son would die. Verses 1 and 2 of this psalm says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. See, David committed a grave sin. He fell big time. But when he was confronted with, it, with his sin, unlike Saul, who tried to play the blame game, who tried to say it wasn't so bad, who tried to justify and reason why he did things the way he did that didn't line up with what God said, David repents. David turns back to God. In light of his punishment that he would face, he didn't get mad at God for punishing him too harshly. He accepted his punishment and worshipped God, repented before God. Who would do this if they didn't believe in the true God? Who would do this if they didn't have faith in God? David's faith led him to repent. And like David, we can have faith 
Even when we're humiliated. Even when we are humbled before God. Even when, if we are confronted with our sin. It's not a time to get angry. It's not a time to be defeated. It's not a time to run and hide. It's a time to draw closer to God in repentance. It's a time to rise up in faith knowing that God will see you through. Knowing that God has greater things in store for you when you turn your heart to the Lord and repent. Like David, we can have faith even through tragedy. And we see that as David turned back to God, we see that David continues to be effective as a king. He continues to prosper David. We see that God even further redeems David through his son Solomon. Now, there were other things that David had to deal with. And one, another part of David's punishment was that it said the sword would never leave his house. And another one of his sons would rise up when he became an adult and wanted to overthrow his father, Absalom, wanted to overthrow David. And so there are certainly consequences for sin. But God is faithful. God redeems David through his son Solomon. Solomon, known as the wisest man in the Bible. Solomon, the one who rebuilt the temple of God. God is a God of justice. God is a God who redeems. God is a God who will be with you through the highs and the lows. He will see you through even in your weakness, even in your failures. This is the God that we serve. So, we can be faithful in the little things. We can have faith over our fear. We can have faith in the plan of God, right? In God's timing. And we can have faith through our humility and tragedy. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you uh, that you are the God who lives. You are the living God. And we put our faith and trust in you. Lord, help, help this word to sink into our heart, Lord, as we examine the life of David. Lord, a man after your own heart, a man that pursued righteousness, even through his failures, Even through his failures, he, he trusted in you. Help us to be like David, that when we fall, we don't make excuses. We don't play the blame game, but we repent and we rely on you. Lord, I pray that we would have, that, that our faith in you would be elevated tonight. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here who has been pondering, putting their faith and trust in you. I pray that your spirit would quicken them, that your spirit would draw them. Help them to see the truth. Help them to see that you are the living God. And that you desire relationship with your creation. Lord, we put our faith and trust in you alone. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.